I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk, crafting artisanal sawdust since 2007. Now here are your hosts, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. What's happening, everybody? It's show number 507. On today's show, we're talking about Baltic birch frustration, sanding before finishing, finishing an outdoor bench, and what's the deal with compression bits? But before we get to that, I want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for over 65 years. Rockler is giving away a new product each and every month to one lucky Wood Talk listener. This month, they're giving away a dust right dust separator, which turns your shop vac into a two-stage dust extractor and eliminates clogged filters. It has over 800 five-star reviews and is a $99 value. Enter for your chance to win before August 1st at rockler.com slash woodtalk. I still can't get over that 800 five-star review. <laughs> it's a damn good product, Matt. Damn good. <laughs> and if you want to help support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to become a patron of the show. We'd like to thank Nick Coolman. John, just John, Sawyer Design, Ben Kinnison, and Bob Donna. Thank you, everybody, for supporting the show. I do appreciate it. You know, we should bring attention. A couple shows ago, we let one of the goofy names pass through, and a lot of people were surprised that we didn't even catch it. (laughs) And uh, if you haven't listened to the show for a long time, you might not know that when we first started to announce patrons and things on the show... This was like a weekly occurrence and people would actually Absolutely. get really like it became a game where we were like going through each one of these, saying it out loud to ourselves, trying to like find the ones that were, you know, not that we're above this. We just wanted to be aware of the choke as we were saying it. Uh, and this was one that we like that had gotten old that ran its course. And then now we're into now and we just weren't even looking. For I didn't it. think about it. So. <laughs> yeah, now you got us looking for it again. So keep them coming. I just want to applaud us for actually having a mature moment and and not calling attention to it. That's Except what I'm going to say. Except for it was say. accidental. Accidental. I'm just going to say it was a mature moment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let All right. That. Let's go with that. <laughs> That's fine. 
Okay, well, let's get to what's on the bench. This is going to be pretty quick for me because uh, I'm going to be taking a little bit of a vacation. Um, let me think. By the time this comes out, I may be back from that vacation. Who Welcome knows? back, Mark. Thank you. It was a great time. I'm uh, refreshed and ready to go. <laughs> Good to Record hear. some wood talk, baby. Got a nice tan, too. Oh. It's great. Uh, I can tell you, though, with uh, you guys know that I'm in this like weekly video release schedule yeah. thing. I've got two two guild projects coming out and releasing one week after the other. Uh, and this is all happening at this time when I'm supposed to be going away. So uh, this week has just been crazy. You're making our other like, people like look bad. It well, just sounds like poor planning to me. <laughs> it kind of is. I like where Shannon's think, at. Look, <laughs> hold on. I don't think I'm making you guys look bad. We got one guy who's like running Iron Man's, has a day job, and still produces <laughs> content. I got another guy that's got like three young kids, uh, chair business, and, uh, you know, cuts logs and is building a beautiful piece of furniture. You're both full of crap. I just love that. <laughs> I got nothing. Like, got nothing what, was it, what was it a week, week ago or two that I, I texted you guys and said, you know, we're, we're out of shows. We got to get a recording. And Mark came yeah. up with like three reasons why we did need to record that week. And then this week he's like, oh, right. I'm going on vacation next week. We better record. It's like, wait, way to think ahead there, Mark. I generally don't think more than like plus or minus seven days around my current situation. Right. Uh, like, if it happened past that point, I don't think about it. If it's if it's not within the seven day window, and exist. you still got the recording time wrong today, I did. <laughs> That's true. That's so true. I rush home, okay. rush yeah, I home on my watch to get here. And- notification from Shannon. All right, let's go. And I'm like, I'm sitting on a bench uh, in a gym, like, oh crap! I added two hours instead of subtracting two hours. But you know what? I made it home, and here we are. Uh, and I got your heart rate up, so you know. Who needs to yeah, work out? Did. It's like, it's great. Got a few more calories. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, it's been pretty crazy having to, to prep all this stuff ahead of time and, and make sure all the releases we were going to do are still going, but that's, that's like a content creation problem, not a woodworking thing. So <laughs> not going to talk too much about that. Matt, what do you got going on? So as I have been spending more time in the shop, finally, which is like we talked about last time, feels good. Mm-hmm. I, I've been thinking more about like shop organization, like philosophy and continuing to evolve things. Uh, the biggest thing like that happened in my last shop was the idea of like converting the shop from like storage and workspace to just a workspace and kind of getting that mental kind of flip going. Mm-hmm. Um, and the biggest thing was getting lumber storage out of the shop. And then that kind of evolved to like the idea of like, okay, you can actually let things go eventually. So it's like you get the stuff that's in storage out of your way and then the stuff that's in storage at a certain point, you're like, I'm never going to use this. I need to get rid of this. So I've become like a lot more stringent with like offcuts and things like that. So like now I just get rid of them because I know like I'm never going to use them for anything. So there's yeah. no point in saving them. And when I moved into this shop, I started thinking, okay, well now I've got this, this barn that's like great for storage. So I can actually move things from the shop that don't need to be there all the time and put them into storage. Um, so the biggest thing I did with that was my lathe. Cause now I got ways to move things and make everything portable really easily. So the lathe is out in the barn. It's one of those things like I don't use very often, but when I need it, I need it. It's not really like an easy way to sort of like do things without a lathe that you want to do on a lathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think, I think all of us kind of have like, this like lathe storage thing or like we have a lathe, but we don't really use them super often. At least Shan's power lathe. It was like Christmas presents once a year, yeah. I think. Right. So 
Yeah, except that I have four lathes and I don't use them all that often. Yeah, but you got know, like, like an outside lathe. I do. I have a backyard lathe. <laughs> Doesn't everybody? He has a lathe for uh, each season, actually. <laughs> See, exactly. Shannon's on his spring lathe today. Exactly it. So as I'm like sitting in my shop, I'm thinking more about those things that like I, I need to like get rid of or like get out of the shop because I don't use them often enough. And I think the next major tool to go into like this like portable storage thing is going to be my drum sander now because it what? takes up a lot of space and I haven't used it in this shop yet because huh. I don't use it well, unless I'm to be fair. You haven't done any woodworking in this shop. That's true. Yet. But I am almost <laughs> I'm like halfway through this chest of drawers and I haven't used it. on. This I've project. done a whole one project and I haven't even used it. Well, the thing is, like, that's the whole thing. It's a whole like philosophy with it. I haven't used it for a whole project. So does it need to be permanently set up in my shop for that one time I'm going to use it? Whenever that is. No. I mean, if it's not part of your regular milling process, I mean, I know some people who will go right from the planer, a couple passes through the drum sander. It's just part of their process. If it's just being used strategically for veneers or That's, I don't know, something that you now that like I, a specialty. Now thing? that I don't make angry cutting boards like all all the time, yeah. I don't I don't use it. So the only use case I have for it now is for basically like gentle stock milling. So like I'm mm -hmm. making like eighth inch thick stock which I don't do that often. So yeah. do I need a machine occupying all that, that footprint, that space in my shop when I could just get it out of there and have just more breathing room in general? I'm, How hard is it to bring it back? Easy. I just put it on my forklift and just drive it over. <laughs> Sorry. Same as a lathe. <laughs> for for Matt, like, you know, he has like a towel handler, Mark. Everything is easy. <laughs> the okay. truck's in the way right now, so I'm just going to move it over here. When do you need the truck actually, again? Does it matter? That <laughs> is actually the, the biggest problem is <laughs> I have to move my truck to get it all the way. Yeah. But, and obviously that's not like, this is not like something that everyone can do, but it's it's been an interesting like mental <laughs> shift for me because when I first started, it was like, how can I cram as many things into the shop as possible and eventually you get to the point where like you have too much stuff and you can't actually work efficiently. You have stuff everywhere and a lot of stuff you're not going to use. But when you're like getting started, you're like, I don't know what I'm not going to use. So I'm happy I'm at a, like this clarity point in my life where I'm like, I know I'm not going to use this. I know I shouldn't have this here anymore. I need to get rid of it. So another example I was thinking about too is like clamps. I have a lot of like clamps that I bought when I was just getting started that aren't that good. Or I have my pipe clamps from when I first started woodworking. In my old mm -hmm. shop, I hung them in my ceiling. It's like that was like a cool organization thing. I'm like, oh, I'll put my pipe clamps up in the ceiling in the in the ceiling joist to get them out of the way. I put them up there, and you know how many times I took them down to use them? Hmm. Zero. When you moved. Zero times. Yeah. The only time they came down is when I moved. So that's how I know I don't need pipe clamps. <laughs> so things like that. I'm like, okay, I'm gonna get rid of them. So if anybody wants some pipe clamps and some really crappy other F clamps, you can have them. Come hmm. get them. I don't want them. And I got stuff in the bar now I got to get rid of because I have all these things that I know I'm never going to use. <laughs> well, you know, you can go in stages. You don't necessarily have to just get rid of it. I mean, I am. Well, I did. I'm with the you. stages, you put in a storage. <laughs> you put and in the barn. Yeah. This next stage is you go through your storage and be like, okay, I haven't used this in X amount of time. Is it time to get rid of this? I've just discovered, like, in, in fact, I had to look this up. I wrote a blog post back when people did that nine years ago. About the virtue of elbow room in your wood shop, because it, we all have this problem. It's like you just cram stuff in and we're so focused on workflow and like how to like, it's like a big Tetris puzzle to get as many of these little things in and shoehorned in. And I started like moving stuff out of the shop. And I'm fortunate that right next to my shop is, is like the mechanical room, the laundry room and the furnace and everything. And it's really just storage. 
So I started just like putting things into boxes or like Rubbermaid containers just to kind of get them out of the way when I was remodeling my shop. And then mm-hmm. I remodeled it and it was like, my God, there's so much space in here. Like it feels <laughs> so good. It's like this, this like good for the soul type thing to have yeah, an actual elbow liberating. room. And then it occurred to me, you know, I'm not going to get rid of the stuff in that tub. Like I've got all of my marquetry stuff and like veneer and everything, except for the big sheets of veneer, it's all in one Rubbermaid tub. And I have like all of my turning stuff, you know, the chuck, the various, you know, doohickeys, as Mark would say, um, thingamabobbers uh, in that little little tub. Yeah. Lots of hoochie mamas in that tub. I've to to do jobbers now. Yeah, that's right. Well, I have a separate tub for do jobbers, but (laughs) they, they all stack up like in the other room. And when I do, like when Christmas rolls around and it's time to pull out the lathe, like all of the the pin kits and the various projects, because every time I buy, you know, like a pepper mill, it's like, well, I'll just buy three. You know, like Penn State gives you a discount if you buy three or whatever. (laughs) So I've got this this tub just filled with kits like that. So I'm always at a a moment's notice, but it, it was like stacked up in the corner of the shop. And it's like, why don't I just stack it up in the corner of the laundry room? And I still do actually access that stuff, like more than you know, once a year, but it's just so much easier to just bring it in, get what I need out, do that particular task, put it back in the tub and then move it out of the shop. Yeah. The virtue of that space is so wonderful. Yeah. The, having the space back is worth more than, than the inconvenience of having to go dig it out. Because yeah. Because you're totally. not digging it out very often. It's an interesting shift in, in mentality because I, I, I do still think the way you're describing where like, oh, if I had the space, I'd have one table saw set up with a dado stack at all times. Like I want two table saws. I got to have two band saws, two router tables. But like, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, if you know yourself well enough and you know that this is stuff you're not going to use, it's just in the way and like freedom of movement and like being able to breathe in the space is, is worth a lot. Very interesting. I guess it's easier when you do at least have a, like an area that you could put stuff on deck in case you really do need it. Yeah. Right. Like I, I uh, like, I want my lathe. I want that out of my shop. Oh, like, I'm telling you best decision I as ever soon made as possible. is get that lathe out of like, my shop. But I have nowhere to put right. it. Right. <laughs> like absolutely nowhere. Uh, and at, like the once a year that Ashley comes over to start turning stuff, I'm going to be like, dang it. Now I got to bring it back. But it takes up space all year long just so that it could be used for a week when, when Ashley's here or maybe once a year when I decide that something round is, is needed. <laughs> so, you know, here, something cylindrical is needed. You heard it here first, Mateo. When you go to college, your room becomes the lathe room. <laughs> <laughs> Most parents build the gym. <laughs> your parents are going to have a wood turning room. I'm just wondering how I'm That's getting what that I was up thinking. Like, I want to be there. I want to watch that happen. <laughs> <laughs> I, we, for whatever reason, this house has like these curvy steps and we, we just got a freezer from Lowe's. And let me tell you, I tip those guys really well for taking that upright freezer down those steps. Oh, I can't even imagine. I mean, that probably weighs a, like a third of what that and, lathe And does. they didn't ding the walls? They, they almost knocked a sconce off the wall, <laughs> but I mean, small price to pay for what they had to do. So I, I tipped them real well. That's good. <laughs> yeah, kind of nuts. Oh, you want to hear something interesting? It's got nothing to do with the show, but I thought this was interesting. So with all like the workforce shortages and stuff that's happening... These two guys that delivered this, I guess it's just Lowe's um, delivery service. They are both from out of town. They both flew in last night to fill these delivery positions in this area temporarily because they don't have enough guys to do these deliveries. It's crazy. Kind of surprising, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a weird, weird time right now. Anyway, like I said, totally had nothing to do with anything, but 
thought it was interesting. Okay. okay, Shannon, I have an important question for you. Yeah. Um, why do you dislike making tools so much? <laughs> I wish I had an answer to that, but it's so true. Um, it, this is actually, this is Matt's fault. Um, <laughs> couple, couple episodes ago, he Build was talking about how, no. <laughs> yeah, he was talking about like cleaning up. Um, he was editing, he was like editing 1700 videos and like working <laughs> through the backlog. So and I started thinking that. about, well, how much footage do I have like on SD cards of like projects that I got started, but haven't finished for one reason or another. Um, so it's not, not, you know, at least Matt could say that these are projects that were finished and just needed to be edited. Um, I had footage that needed to be edited just to figure out where I left off on the project. Well, I've got <laughs> those too. Don't let me, oh, okay, don't let good. me like lead you astray. I definitely have those too. But so I've been trying to just kind of finish off some of these things and, you know, turn it into content or whatever. And I had started like three different tool builds and I just don't please like say a lathe. Please tools. say a lathe. No, no, I'm done with that. <laughs> Number five. I've done with that for a while. <laughs> I mean, one for instance is, is a bow saw, um, because I actually snapped mine. It was one that I actually bought, um, years ago. And I remember at the time thinking, huh, it probably could have used a better grain direction on that upright. And sure enough, it snapped. But, um, I, I just decided to build one and there really wasn't a, a need for that particular saw. So I was like, I'm not going to build it until I absolutely need it. Well, I do have a project coming up that's going to require cutting curves in some thicker lumber. And I really need a bigger turning saw, otherwise known as a bow saw. So I got it started and just, it was, it was like Mark's onion cabinet. It was just like grinding along. It was just like no joy at all coming from this. So at that point I just said, look, I'm just not going to work on this. I don't need it right now. You know, I'm going to need it in like a month or so. Um, and it's really not a difficult project. It's something I could knock out in an afternoon. So I set it aside. Three months have gone by <laughs> and it's oh, like got dust gathering on it. And it was like, so I pulled it back out thinking, you know, give me three hours and I get the thing done. And that three hours turned into six, which turned into a separate day, which turned into another day. It's just, I just can't get motivated to build tools. And I, I've gotten to the point where I'd like, so much respect and admiration to people like on Instagram that are making these tools, like not, not the people actually making a living, just the typical hobbyists that obviously love doing it. That's like their version of woodworking. And it's like, man, I, I wish I had that bug. I just can't do it. <laughs> so <laughs> mind numbingly awful. So yeah, there we go. I hate making tools. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Strong words. Really? Uh, I got an uncomfortable question for you, Matt. Uh oh! Why didn't I just get a notification that you published a video? Yeah, I did. Like right now, I did. Was it scheduled, or are you, are you working on the side here? Well, now that I got my verification from you that the uh, we should probably talk about that the the guild um, the scholarship thing. Oh yeah. yeah now yeah, that yeah. I know that oh, when I, I said the video was accurate, I just hit the make a public button. <laughs> okay. <laughs> No, I was just looking at this going, why is Matt publishing? We're, we're in the middle of recording. What is he doing? How does he do it? How do I do How it? Do you, how does anybody do it? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we do have a guild scholarship thing. Um, the, I, literally, Nicole handles all of this. So maybe you know, Matt, where do they go to find out about this? It's on your website. It's on... On the Wood Whisperer? Yep. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. <laughs> we sure will. Shannon will. I don't know what the heck is going on in my own house. Um, <laughs> I just, I just work here. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll have a link. We'll, we'll find the link and put it in the show notes. There's a whole scholarship thing that you can apply for. 
um, if you are in a situation where you can't necessarily join the guild, but you would like to. Um, we have like other guild members who are so happy with, with what they've experienced there that they sponsor people. And sometimes someone will say like, I, I want to sponsor, um, specifically a veteran, uh, to, to be able to get this, or I want to sponsor a, um, you know, a youth or some, some young kid to, to get it. Um, it's a great thing. Everybody kind of chips in. It's a, a lot of fun. Um, and you could apply, uh, hold on. So apply right here. That is on the woodwhisperer.com slash what would you think? scholarship <laughs> go figure so go check she's that so out. good at thanks URLs, for reminding me you know, on the call just get just like you know what here's it's a, just the obvious here's thing. an easy url for people <laughs> yeah all right so another announcement gonna mention those t-shirts again make my mama happy go and uh go grab your wood talk all-star t-shirt it's at uh twwstore.com it's actually on the second page because we don't know how to make uh <laughs> e-commerce work right get call on that <laughs> i hear she's good at She'll stuff like that She's all right. <laughs> oh man. So I think we have a mid roll to do. I've got nothing funny to say. So choosing the best drawer slides for your project can be complicated. Roll right that's into why Rockler's <laughs> rolling right into it, man. That's how you do it. Uh, that's why Rockler's created a comprehensive slide guide that walks you through all the choices to find the perfect slide for your project. The guide includes an overview video in-depth buying guide, and even a glossary of terms so you can impress your friends with your knowledge of slide nomenclature. Uh, with Rockler's <laughs> selection of over 400 drawer slides, yikes, there's a solution for every situation. I'm glad you guys are entertained. Uh, side mount, under mount, center mount, self-close, soft-close, push to open, three-quarter extension, full extension, and over travel. And you know, it's weird. I actually know what all those things That's are. sad, but true. Kind of a shame to admit. Yep. <laughs> they also have uh, helpful installation jigs, which is... Uh, a big help when you're doing, especially if you're doing a drawer slide type you've never done before. Sometimes those jigs are a real uh, time saver. Uh, you'll find them all and the guide at rockler.com slash slides or look for the link in the show notes. And thank you very much, Rockler, for sponsoring the show. And having Looking clean Looking forward to URLs. checking out the slide guide. Yeah, and clean clean URLs too. <laughs> all makes sense. Wonder like it should be. I wonder how many reviews those 400 drawer slides have altogether. Is it more than the uh, dust extractor? Mm, maybe collectively you'd think so these Either are the way, things still, that run through my mind because that's I'm a lot lame. of drawer it's slides important. i mean it yeah. really is. a lot of reviews a lot of drawer slides like rockler's just like into big numbers yeah they like big impressively numbers. large numbers mm-hmm. that, why did they uh, start working with us because <laughs> we're on episode 507 <laughs> yeah, most listeners of this show are like our family members so what's up fam <laughs> anyway <laughs> right <laughs> All right, so we have a group question here in the form of a voicemail from uh, pa Pavel, I think is how he pronounces that. Hey guys, my name is Pavel. I live over the hill from Mark here in Colorado Hi. in a little town called Fruta. I've got to build a bench for a memorial, and I'm toying with the idea of trying to build it out of a Siberian elm tree that I had taken down on my property just a couple weeks ago here in mid-June. It's quite large, about 40 to 48 inches across the main trunk. The bench is going to go outdoors and be in a city park that at times, you know, will be just covered in snow, probably feet of snow for a couple months out of the year. But it will also be fairly rustic, so I'm okay, you know, if it has a little bit of checking or something. So I guess the questions would be with the tree being taken down in mid-June and the project needing to be completed in mid-September, will I have so much movement from this that, uh, you know, it just basically isn't a good idea? 
as well. How would you finish it being a city park? I don't know if it will ever be finished again or, you know, refinished. So I'd really like to try to put something durable, you know, even if that means just soaking, you know, the crap out of it, you know, in oil or something. And lastly, my question would be if I was to inlay some text on it, is there any way you guys can think that, you know, even in a few years, it doesn't all just look gray and the same, but that that text continues to stand out, you know, maybe even using something that's not wood, if you guys have any ideas how I could do that short of just bolting a plaque to it or something. Anyways, Hmm. thanks a bunch. Bye. All right. Uh, so by Siberian Elm, how's the durability of that stuff outdoors in the first place? Anybody know? Mm, I haven't used that side before. I don't know. Cause I think that a lot of times that can change our answer. Like if you have something that just generally weathers well and you don't have to think about long-term finish maintenance on it, then that's great. Especially for something that may not get any maintenance. If this is a wood that kind of doesn't do well outside in the first place, that can be problematic. I did a quick search and of course the internet yeah. never lies. Uh, this is a website called Wonderwoods, and it says Elm ranks low on the durability scale, which is the fourth variable to consider. Obviously this is a long article. Um, because of this, I only use Elms indoors in a log form. It rots pretty quickly and starts to have issues after only one season outside. Uh, so, you know, with a review of exactly one, <laughs> one website, <laughs> I have determined <laughs> I mean, if that's the case, if, uh, that, that's, that's not a good sign. I mean, Elm in general, I don't think it was an exterior wood. I don't know how different Siberian Elm is. I mean, it's the same genus, so I would think it's somewhat similar, but yeah, to me, I I wouldn't think of that as an exterior species to begin with. So I think that's, that's going to be part of the problem here with him then. If, if that's the case, uh, let's see. Yeah. Okay, so here's a person on Lumberjack saying Siberian Elm is definitely not, in all capital letters, a typical outdoor furniture wood, and I very well may end up regretting the choice, but blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so <laughs> this is one of those cases. If you use if you use a species that is not happy outdoors in the first place, kind of doesn't matter what you're what you're doing there. It's like the finish will then fail, and then the wood will fail soon after that. Yeah. I mean, you could really try to make this thing bulletproof, but you know, I did that with um, Western Red Cedar, you know, very a wood that actually is pretty good outside, but it's very soft. It's not durable in that sense. So the finish was easily dented and penetrated and just kind of failed prematurely. So I would I would not, man, I don't want to like poop on his parade here because it sounds like a cool project. But if you use the wrong species, you're kind of going uphill. Agreed. I don't think there's much you can, yeah. you can do. I mean, I I've certainly used interior woods for exterior and the solution for the finish is paint. Um, and then mm-hmm. more paint <laughs> when the paint fails, Complete, completely encapsulated, right? You know, you could, you could j- just cover it with paint and then redo the paint job every couple of years and you're good to go. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm always cautious of a species that isn't going to do well outside because it just rots. A lot of times it'll rot from like the inside out and it looks fine. And then like you sit mm-hmm. on it yeah. and you fall yeah. through the seat. And somebody falls through. Although yeah, I was trying to find question says about the over the hill. He, he called yeah. himself over the hill from you over that hill. What's that? Fruit, fruit where is, is that? Like where Grand I was going to ask you, so, where is that? It's out in Grand oh, Junction. Okay. Yeah. The biggest thing he has to worry about out there is dinosaurs because he's right by dinosaur national monument. So you need a dinosaur proof mm-hmm. finish. Good well, mountain good biking, though. Great mountain biking in Fruta. Yeah. Off topic. And that'll though. help him. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> well, that's the thing with the lettering too. Um, if he's talking about doing something like that, if this is not a species that wears well, then anything you do to it to adorn it probably is not going to hold up very well either, which could be problematic. So what do you think about adding, answer. like adding a dye, you know, because the color fast nature of a dye would be certainly be more than, than the color, than like the wood itself. The wood's going to go gray. The dye will fade, but it will still be a lot darker. You know, uh, if he, if we were to kind of saturate the, um, whatever, if he carved like relief or inlaid a species in and then, um, use dye on the species before inlaying it, I think at mm -hmm. least it would create enough of a difference that, yeah, it's going to go gray, but I think you're still going to be able to see it. The other thing I would recommend is somehow putting whatever inlay you're doing, like carve a border, like like relief carve a border around it to kind of set off that there's something there. And I think that no matter how faded it gets, at least the the actual three-dimensional relief carving there will at least let people know that there's something there. <laughs> you got to look real yeah. close, but it's still there. I, I, there, I promise. I, I got to wonder too, with an inlay, like you better go deep because I'm also concerned about expansion contraction over time, how long it takes before that inlay just pops out. Well, it's going to, yeah. the whole like bench is going to shrink like crazy. He's going to like make it within three months of sawing it too. Yeah. Basically when he's building that bench, it's still green. Mm. All right. Well, uh, sorry to be the bearers of bad news there, Pavel. <laughs> if uh, anyone has experience specifically with this Siberian elm, was it? Uh, let us know. We may be wrong in that, but uh, from the very little research we did, it seems and like it may not be inlaying into green wood. <laughs> Things are not going to go well. It just seems... Yeah. <laughs> well, he'll have a recess there, even if the inlay pops out. So it's true. Work towards towards the the there you go. See, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. I got a question here from Keith. He says, why do people use up cut and down cut spiral carbide router bits when a compression bit will give a clean top and bottom cut in the industrial world? They use almost all compression. When I worked in marketing for a tool sales and sharpening service, we sold 25 compressions to every one up or down cut. So I was just thinking about this because it's a very good question. So if you're not familiar, you're when referring to, um, you know, router bits and this orientation up and down cut, it's a spiral bit. And that spiral can either sort of take a path upwards, which will draw chips out of a mortise or but also lead to potentially uh, tear out on that top side or they go the other way where the chips would go down into a mortise. And if you were, let's say you're not doing a mortise, if the bit is fully exposed, uh, you would get tear out the other way, but you get a nice clean top. So this directionality is something that we kind of uh, try to pick and choose what we're using for the task. If we want to make sure we have absolutely no tear out, we might use one of those bits for a certain application. The thing is though, <clears throat> what a compression bit doesn't do is the first thing I said there, draw dust and, and shavings out of a mortise. So one of the reasons why we might use an upcut spiral bit is when running a router by hand, human powered, we tend to go kind of slow and it's kind of important to get as much of that dust and crap out of the mortise as possible so that as we go, we're not building a whole bunch of friction and heat and wearing that bit prematurely um, and bluing it essentially, uh, which is what happens if you take too long to go through this thing or there's too many chips being caught up in there. So I think there, there's a good justification to have a true you know, I don't really buy any down cut. I think you could do most of what you need to do with upcut spirals. Um, but for me personally, the upcut is great. Now, compression bits come in handy, but I find that those are most handy if I'm doing some kind of a, um, like a templating operation, right? So this way, when you have a compression bit, 
Now the directionality of the spirals, both are heading toward the center, so you get a nice clean edge on both the top and bottom of your board. And that's when compression bits come in handy, but I think it depends on the operations you're doing with them. So if you're making mortises, I don't know that I would want a compression bit because yeah, while it might have the ability to make a clean top surface and exit surface, uh, if you're doing a, a mortise that's trapped, it's just kind of pushing the, the chips down into the mortise and not doing anything to draw them out. Am I thinking about this wrong? It seems to make sense to me. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, Matt, that's Matt's answer for, I wasn't listening. Well, no, I think no, you're right. I, was, I, <laughs> I think in the case of a mortise, though, when you're making your first couple passes, then the bit's an upcut until you get to a certain depth, and then it becomes a compression. Yeah. I don't know if that makes any difference at all mm, maybe nah, I don't know. well what do, do you have any compression bits that you just use? just the pattern bits for like flush trim and templates yeah i feel like that's the only time i specifically want a compression you know, where i'm taking the yeah. entire edge in one pass i'm not stepping yeah right and things. i think that's why they're selling so well in the commercial sector because everything i mean I just think of like one of my biggest shocks when I started working in the lumber yard and actually seeing our commercial millwork house is like, there's no second pass. Like, <laughs> right. because there are 10,000 pieces to run through the molder. You don't take a second pass because then you got to carry it all the way back to the other end and you got to do that, you know, however many times, however many thousand linear feet you're running. So you don't take a second pass. You just throw another molder head at it. That's why you have six and seven, you know, molders, molder heads in that, in that powered molder. And mm -hmm. you're always doing like the entire face. So you need that compression. There's also kind of like a best of both worlds type thing with a compression bit. So if you're doing a lot of quantity, a lot of volume, you know, whole face, and then not wanting to have to switch out the bit that much or have to think about switching the bit you kind of straddle mm -hmm. the fence and go with a compression bit but i think matt's more on target there that it's if it's the whole face it makes a little bit more sense yeah it's all about the application and how, what you're doing with it i okay, imagine matt, feed yeah. feed speed would have a little to do with it too wouldn't you i don't know maybe in, stretching a little bit way like the faster you run it the compression bit would be a little bit more efficient i don't know i'm off maybe i don't know yeah. That's uh, above my payroll. <laughs> Fair enough. My, my pay scale. I mean, I guess in this case, right. I'm assuming like the industrial world, we're talking about like more like CNC stuff than like a handheld, yeah, some I guy mean, with a handheld router. Yeah. Well, I think that's a huge, a huge part of it. Yeah. I mean, if you're plowing through making like, like Shannon says, you're making a full cut through something and you yeah. are doing it in one pass, cutting out shapes. I'm, I'm in, thinking uh, like some guy's got, you know, his industrial CNC and, He's got his half-inch plywood. He's not making like four passes. He's going all the way through it, yeah. going all the way yeah. around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Great. Someone will let us know. I'm not really worried about it. Yep. Uh, I got to find my spider. Okay, it's from Joe. Uh, it says, love the show. Thanks to Rockler for forcing you out of quitting. Is that how that went? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Go Something rock. Like that. Go Rockler. <laughs> on episode 504, you guys talked about using a sheet sander to sand inside corners and then talked about how you never do that because you sand before assembly. So here's my question. If you are, say, installing a shelf in a dado and that shelf and dado is just perfectly sized for your shelf, 
Wouldn't running through the grits make that perfect fit just a bit loose? Do you ever worry about that? Uh, I can tell you how I would do how I do this. So when I cut my pieces that are going to go into a dado, I'll either cut the dado to fit the piece after it's already been finished sanded, or I'll go the other way, or I'll plane the piece down so it's a little bit bigger than the dado when it's tight, so that I know when I sand it, it'll be the perfect fit. I plan for that sanding. Mm-hmm. Either way, that's how I do yeah. it. Glue swells the wood. Also use glue. <laughs> well, I'll use a water-based yeah. glue. Yeah. Don't use epoxy. No, it won't I, do anything. I, I try to account for that. <laughs> so if I have not sanded my plywood yet and I'm sizing a dado, I will, I mean, there's a range of tightness that we can have and the, the snugness of the fit. Um, I will see the snugness of a fit and go, yeah, that's a little bit tight, but guess what? I haven't sanded this, so Perfect. I know that this is going to fit perfect later. Um, if you aren't doing that, if you're going for like, oh, this is how I would want to glue this up, that's the perfect fit, but you haven't sanded yet, you're going to have loose-fitting dados later. So it's something that I think you should be keeping in mind. Perfect. It's something you do once, and then you don't do it again <laughs> until yeah. you forget and do it again. Yeah. Is this? Right, I got to order some food here. So uh, I think Shannon, you're up. Well, I want to know can I put in my order? I want something. I'm hungry. <laughs> We're ordering Greek. That's so let me know. Two hours later over here, I'm starving. So this, <laughs> this is a question from Devin. <laughs> he says, I'm so glad I entertained Matt. That's all yeah, I you go do, for. actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> Mark doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> do I want gyro meat or not? That's the, really the question I'm trying to answer here. I don't know. Are we talking G-Y-R-O or E-U-R-O? Because yeah. gyro meat, G-Y-R-O. as in like the European Union, can be a little suspect. I don't want their meat. Yeah. I just want the, the Greek stuff. This is- gyro. You like it a juice, don't you? Yeah. It's, it's heavily spiced. <laughs> okay, I'm going to answer Devin's question now because this is just not going to get any better. <laughs> We keep keep feeding this. It's not going to get any better. So Devin wants to know, is there a secret Baltic birch cabal or do content creators (laughs) all own shares in a manufacturer of Baltic birch? This seems to be the go-to plywood for every project ever made on YouTube. And it has me tricked into thinking that any other plywood is inferior. Is Baltic birch really that good? Or can I get away with stuff from Home Depot or Lowe's for shop furniture, jigs, et cetera, without worrying that it isn't strong enough? Devin. Should I get the Baba Ganoush? Or... <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, you, were, you were saying something. You, 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 want, you want a tiro pita and some moussaka and just call it at that. Okay. You gotta All have right. the tiro pita to go to start things off. It's important. Or the hartakopita, that's really good. I had a hartakopita in Tolo. Oh mm-hmm. man, I was in, I was this little beachside town called Tolo on the, on the bottom of the Peloponnesian Peninsula. And I ordered tiro pita and the guy said, you sure don't want harakopita? And I said, I don't know what harakopita. And he said, I'll bring it to you. And it was fantastic. But it sounds good. It had mushrooms in it. Fresh mushrooms. It was really good. Can't go wrong with that. So yeah, Devin, that should answer your question about Baltic birch. Just don't. Yeah, there you go. You know, get, get (laughs) your meat, moussaka and tiro pita and you'd be good to go. (laughs) Don't get the tiro pita from Home Depot though. You want to go to Lowe's for tiro pita. It's much better. No. For sure. So, Devin, what you're falling suspect to is just the generic term Baltic birch. Um, and and I, I know what you're saying. You know, YouTube, I, going back, you know, it used to be like David Marks would say, oh, apple ply. 
And everybody kept looking for, for plywood made out of actual Apple. And Apple Ply is actually a brand name made by States Industries. And it wasn't like any special particular plywood. It was still a shop grade plywood that one might actually call Baltic Birch. Baltic Birch is like Band-Aid. <laughs> it's, a, it's a brand name that gets applied to everything. So the stuff you're buying from Home Depot might actually be the same stuff that your favorite content creator is using. It is a birch or a shop grade plywood. Um, so really what you're looking for when you're talking, you know, where someone would be using Baltic birch is shop plywood or sometimes uh, C quality plywood may be what, what you're seeing. The grade of the, the surface veneer, the face veneer is a C grade and that's all it is. It doesn't really have much to do with strength. I mean, certainly there is genuine finished birch plywood that is like 27 plies um, in a three quarter inch sheet, but that's a, that's a different, that's a different product altogether. So you, you really kind of have to be asking yourself, what is it you want that plywood to do and what is most important? Um, and if you're not, if you really want to go deep on this, um, the Lumber Update podcast has what a two or three episode series on plywood. And that really examines all the different aspects of plywood, the veneer quality, um, the, the number of plies per sheet, how it's dried, how it's um, manufactured. All of that stuff will guide you to what type of plywood you're looking for. The last thing you consider is actually what it's called. And it's infuriating as all get out. I get it. I understand. It's like the finishing world. You know, tongue oil is not actually tongue oil. And teak oil doesn't have oil from a teak tree. It's, it's not made of A lot tongues? of times it's the same thing. <laughs> tongue oil and teak oil might actually be the same thing. It's called mineral oil. So it's just, it's, it's marketing at its purest form. And plywood embraces that fully. So yeah, go buy the stuff from Home Depot. You don't have to worry that it's not going to be strong enough. It might be a slightly lower quality than something maybe you bought at, you know, uh, a, an actual lumber yard or Rockler. Yeah. They now have good plywood. Um, Go Rockler. But yeah, it's shop grade plywood. That's what you're looking for. Funny thing is I just built that uh, little plywood rack in the shop and they were out of Baltic birch, you know, the go-to oh, yeah. material that we all use. Um, so I, I was like, all right, let's just go with uh, like shop grade or a paint grade. And it's not bad. It's it's a lot lighter. Um, I've been working with Baltic Birch so much that I went to pick up the sheet and I was like, well, okay, that's that's nice. I kind of like that. Um, and then it, it started to think like, am I doing this unnecessarily? Like I also find myself going to Baltic Birch by default when in reality there's lots of great shop grade plywood that would be cheaper, uh -huh. lighter, easier to handle and would do the job just fine. Uh, but I will say um, shop grade stuff compared to Baltic Birch, a lot more voids. Definitely a lot more. That's probably why sure. it's lighter because it's almost hollow. Um, <laughs> then of course the, uh, the face veneers, very, very thin, even more so than Baltic birch and also very fragile. So a lot of the, um, cuts and things that you do, even with sharp tools, uh, once you're done, it's very easy to fray that corner and lift up some of that veneer. Now it's a shop project. So who cares? Uh, it's also paint grade in this, this particular instance. So, um, you would be doing some fills on there if you were going to apply some paint to it, but yeah, it's not bad. I mean, this plywood cart's holding a lot of weight. It's doing just fine. So, well, and, you, you know, know that, that is a, that is a key point. I don't want to understate. Baltic Birch is an actual branded product. It's just that yeah. so many people call shop plywood Baltic Birch. It's become like the the what's the term for that? There's an actual term for that. I'll remember it after like, the show. Um, yeah, like the Xerox. Yeah, Kleenex. Yeah, there's a, there's an actual word for that that would yeah. score you big points on a Scrabble board if I could remember it, but. It's, it's not to say that it isn't really high quality stuff, but 
Mark just demonstrated, it's really hard to get, especially now. COVID has really torn up the supply chain for Baltic birch. And the funny thing is, is Finnish ply um, in general, uh, most Baltic birch is not made, manufactured anywhere near the Baltic Sea. (laughs) Um, What used to be Baltic birch 20 years ago is not manufactured anywhere near it. And it's it's entirely different manufacturers. Now, the quality may still be as good, but yeah, it is an actual product that is a really nice quality product. But most places where you're buying birch ply or Baltic birch ply, you're not actually getting that brand name. You're getting a shop grade ply. The stuff I usually get from Austin Hardwoods is they sell it as Russian birch. Mm-hmm. And I know they ran a couple of like a, a whole series of Instagram posts like last year or sometime talking about the different grades and that this even if they just, they call it Baltic birch doesn't always mean it's the same grade and yeah, there's a absolutely. big difference in the good, the good stuff and the crappy stuff. And the only way to determine that difference is the price tag. I mean, you truly get what you pay oh, yeah. for with, with plywood. You know, there's yeah. really, you can look at spec sheets all day long. And the funny thing is if, if we don't drag this out too much, I was um, working with a yacht manufacturer. Um, we were trying to develop a, a panel that was really lightweight, but had the same strength as what they were currently using. So we went to their engineer and talked about, you know, what do you really need? He said, well, the panel we're using works really great. We just wish it was lighter. Okay, well, what's the panel? So well, I'm not really sure. It's, it's one of these. And he handed me a spec sheet from the manufacturer and it had seven different panels, seven different products on there. And he's like, I don't know which one it is, but it's just one of those. It's like, okay, well, where's your salesperson? We called the salesperson. The sales guy couldn't tell me the difference between those seven different products. I mean, the, the, the difference was so minuscule and it, what it really came down to was how quickly it was manufactured. Like how much mm-hmm. time was it spent in the press? How fast was the feed rate through the glue roller and things like that? So in other words, this panel that was cheaper has actually less glue. It has a, a, a less perfectly dried um, uh, per, per ply. That's really what it comes down to. The specs can be all the same, but it's more expensive because it took longer to manufacture because there was more mm. quality control. In other words, that's the only difference is the price tag. But when it comes to like delamming and cupping and warping down the road, you know, whether or not that veneer was dried 100% to the same, whatever the moisture content is, it's got to be a hundred percent at 2% or 3% or whatever it is. If it's slightly off, that panel is going to cup and it's going to warp. Well, that takes significantly more time and care to do that during manufacture. And that translates to two bucks a sheet, 10 bucks a sheet, et cetera. So uh, plywood (laughs) is so frustrating because of that alone, because it's entirely man-made. Um, all the price, all the labor comes really from that manufacturing process. Not really, certainly raw materials play into it when you're talking about hardwood ply and the quality of the face veneer, but because it's made in such large volume, that material cost kind of becomes less of an issue and it's more about manufacturing time and and, uh, like glue, the cost of the glue, it's crazy. Yeah, wow, interesting stuff. Not really. Okay, make it all out of slab. (laughs) There you go. I, th- I find it very interesting because I think sheet goods is an intimidating, I mean, wood is intimidating to begin with, but I think most, most of us can wrap our heads around, uh, here's a species. It's either, you know, somewhat milled or <laughs> some state of pre-milling and you, you can get your head around that. But when you get into plywood, 
yeah. all the different cores, the different face qualities, the, the codes, it's actually, I yeah. think it's pretty intimidating. The grade is really bad. So again, there, there's my plug for the Lumber Update podcast, Devin. If you haven't listened to that, I mean, there's a reason it took me three episodes to get through plywood because there's a lot to talk about, but I've heard from a lot of people that it was really helpful. So there you go. Go listen to that. I I thought the reason was because you talked too much. I was going to say that too. three ply. <laughs> yeah. Ah, no, that was, yeah, that wasn't that good. No, really. Ours is better. (laughs) Go listen to Shannon's podcast. Funny because it's true. It's a good one. Turn off this one. I think (laughs) put on the other one. Matt, Matt texted us something the other day asking a question that was coincidentally the same question I asked Shannon in that same group text two weeks before. And Shannon's like, does anyone listen to my show? (laughs) (laughs) I've covered this three times. So, yeah, we're pretty good friends, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's only so much we can talk about about. yeah truly (laughs) all right let's close this uh, thing off pinch it off Uh, remember that we are proudly sponsored by Rockler family owned since 1954 Rockler is your go to source for high quality and innovative woodworking tools finishing supplies hardware lumber and expert advice whether you're building a simple bookshelf a custom desk or new kitchen cabinets Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success Visit rockler.com for a store near you or use the code WOODTALK, all one word, online to receive free shipping on most orders over $39. And remember to head to rockler.com slash woodtalk to enter for your chance to win a dust right dust separator. Wow. Your very own. Yeah. I got to say, folks, the folks that listen to this show, you've had some good questions lately. I, I was in the inbox today pulling out questions for the show, and there's a lot to choose from. So thank you all for sending in such good questions. Um, and to those of you who sent in bad questions, thank you as well. We just may not get to them anytime soon. But if you have a good question or a bad question, <laughs> go to woodtalkshow.com. You can fill out the form there, or you can hit us up on Instagram at woodtalkshow, or just email us at woodtalkshow at gmail.com. And we look forward to answering or maybe not answering your question. You never know. It's a roll of the dice sometimes. We but look seriously, forward to the not inbox answering. is filled with good stuff. <laughs> we look forward oh, we have a- to not answering your question. We have a full inbox. We answer about three to four per show. Yeah. The math just works out in such a way that we can't answer all of them. <laughs> just going to happen, unfortunately. But we appreciate you guys sending them. Yeah. And and I'm being totally honest. I had quite a, quite a, quite a pick to choose from. Too. There were some really, really good questions in there. So we're sorry if, well, you, if you're waiting like to apply glue to a project for us to answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are times where I'll go into the inbox and it will take me... 15 minutes to find two questions that I need to answer. Um, today I found two of them and they were the first two that I checked. I'm like, that's good. I'll take it. Okay. That one's good. I'll take it. It was very easy to find questions this time. That's good. I like that. We appreciate that. So again, want to say thank you to Margaret. She's doing a great job over there on social media. She's keeping the, the Instagram account running and putting up engaging posts and all that fun stuff. And yet again, Though, knock on wood, not too many technical issues this episode, but Nick, you you make all my technical issues sound fabulous. Thank you very much for doing the editing of this show. Alrighty. Well, thank you for listening, everyone, and we will catch you next time. Maybe. You never know. Maybe. You never <laughs> Depends on the know. connection speed. We look forward to not <laughs> answering your questions. when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.